This gospel reading is from Luke 19, 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All of the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be with a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here I am now. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. my notes. You would expect this to be a short sermon. Keep your hopes up. <clears throat> it is humbling uh, to be here two weeks in a row instead of a year in between <laughs> preaching. So this is uh, quite an experience for me. And uh, I thank you for uh, showing up a second time. Uh, we are entering into a, um, this episode in Jericho, and Jesus has been coming through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. You remember from last week that he wanted to go through Samaria. They wouldn't receive him, so he followed along the border of Galilee and Samaria. He crossed over the Jordan River. He's coming back at Jericho. He has no intention of staying there. Uh, he had sent advanced teams out, as we learned from Jay, that he uh, before he goes, he'd always sent people ahead to make preparations. So they'd already entered into uh, Jericho. The people knew he was coming. Uh, we meet Bartimaeus, the blind man, at the gate, who then um, responds to Jesus' earlier question. When the Son of Man, a question at the end of the parable about perseverance, and that perseverance is all about seeking, asking, knocking, perseverance. <laughs> uh, seeking, asking, knocking, pounding at heaven's door, not being, not being uh, set aside, not being pushed back. And at the end of that parable about the widow who's seeking from an, uh, the unrighteous judge, Jesus asks the question, when he comes, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And then we see him coming into Jerusalem, and we discover this man, uh, the blind man, Bartimaeus, the only one of two people in the New Testament, who in the Gospels, rather, who recognized Jesus as the sovereign Messiah, son of David. The only other person being a foreigner, the Syrophoenician woman who came from Lebanon. And so Jesus stops and he calls the man to him, and he takes on the kingly role, asking the supplicant what they want, 
granting that, and then uh, at, uh, calling him to them, using his servants, asking the supplicant what he wants, granting that supplication without ever touching the man, an unusual healing. And then that man follows in his debt, and we see that picture. Jesus uh, uh, demonstrating himself to be the Messiah King. And you remember, he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem to accept his kingship. And he's not going to be delayed. This is the beginning of Passover, and he needs to get there. He has things he needs to do, which we see unfolding in the chapters afterwards. The next major event is going to be the triumphal entry. So now he's on his way out of Jericho. And not only does he have the crowd that came with him, the pilgrims, the 12, maybe some of the families of the 12, some of the 72, maybe some of their families, a large group. He's now collected people who were at the gate or near the gate, people who had come out to welcome him, uh, ready to meet this miracle worker, ready to meet this rabbi from Nazareth, and uh, welcoming into their city. And now he's healed Bartimaeus, and that word has gone out, and so the crowd is just surging through Jericho toward uh, an exit. And surely at this time, people are saying, won't you please stay? I mean, we've made preparations. We're, we're, we're ready for you. We have got a room for you in the house of an important person here in Jericho. Uh, maybe one of the Pharisees, maybe one of the priests or Levites, uh, half of the priests and Levites that served in the temple in Jerusalem lived in Jericho. It was the seat of the summer uh, palace of Herod the king. And so this was an important city, a city of uh, palm trees, of uh, fragrance. Uh, it was a, a large place, not what we see today. And Jesus says, no, I'm going on to Jerusalem, 15 miles away. I'm passing through. And that's where we pick up the story. There is some disappointment and discouragement on the part of the crowd. And it says here in chapter 19, verse 1, I'm using the New American Standard Version because this is the, the Bible I started preaching out of in 1968. And it's just the one I stick with conservative, I suppose. And we pick up in verse 1, and you can follow along in your order of worship. And he entered and was passing through Jericho, not intending to stay. A city of wealth that we've already talked about, a very wealthy city. And behold, there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, this has got to be a little ironic because that name, a common Jewish name, meant just, a person who was just. And if there's anything that Zacchaeus isn't, it is just. And so uh, Luke recalls this man's name. Now we have Bartimaeus. We know his name from Mark. We have these two particular people that Jesus is paying attention to. The first recognizes him as king. The second answers the question that Jesus is responding to all the way through chapter 18, and that is who may enter the kingdom. Who may come into the kingdom? If he is king, who is he going to allow into the kingdom? And so we know a couple of things about Zacchaeus. One is his name. Uh, one, that he was a chief tax collector. This is the first time in Greek anywhere that we can find 
this term being used. It's used after Luke uses it in later literature, but he's the first one that we know has ever used this term. It means that he was probably the district chair of uh, a, a taxing district. He was the guy in charge. We know that he was a chief tax collector, that he had subordinates that collected taxes, and he got a piece of the action. We know that he was short, we'll see that in the next verse, and that he was rich. I think this is just one of the most incredible pictures uh, of anything, uh, any story that we hear in uh, the New Testament. When I was a child, maybe you as well, and maybe even in our own children's program, we sang a song about Zacchaeus. Do you remember the song? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know, you know that song? Well, I had, as a, a five- or six-year-old, I had this strange idea that Zacchaeus was something like a lawn gnome because, there's, because there are... There are hand signs that go with this, and you're five years old, and you say, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You think, wow, this is one of the funniest stories I think I've ever heard. You get this picture of this kind of lawn gnome sitting up in a tree waiting for Jesus. Wrong picture. I think he's more like Danny DeVito, right? So, some of you younger ones don't know who that is. Let's pray before we begin. Our God in heaven, What we want to do this morning is dig into this passage to learn who is worthy of the kingdom, who may come into the kingdom, to learn something about this incident in this place that you might reveal to us something about your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Guide us to that end, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. There were... The Roman tradition in taxes was to tax a district. They would just kind of look at a district and determine kind of who was in that district. So you think about the census when Joseph and Mary were going down to Bethlehem was to decide how many people are in that district and therefore how heavily that district would be taxed. A lot of taxation uh, principles in, um, in the Middle East, uh, you have to support your, um, uh, your country somehow. And on the, on the mall in Washington, D.C. Is, is Washington's monument, that stele that's sticking way up. Well, that's, that is, uh, strangely enough, that is patterned after a tax pole in Egypt. And those poles were plates. Uh, look just like that, just like the Washington Monument, except shorter. And the Nile River would flood, and when it would flood, it would deposit silt across the land. And it would leave a mark on that pole, and that pole would then, or on that stele, and it would tell then how much the farmers who were raising crops now on this newly placed silt from the Nile River would be charged in taxes. And I think it's, it's entirely fitting that one of the major monuments in Washington, D.C. is a tax measuring tool uh, from ancient Egypt. There were, the Roman uh, tradition was to tax a district, and then uh, just to the highest bidder, whoever could pay the most would get the right to collect that money. And that particular um, tradition was easy to corrupt. And so by Jesus' day, 
that had changed a little bit. You could still buy the right to uh, be the tax collector, but there were two basic kinds of taxes. There were stated taxes. Stated taxes include, included a poll tax, the, the privilege of simply existing you had to pay money for. So if you were 14 uh, to 65 years old and a man, you paid a poll tax. If you were 12 to 65 years old and a woman, you paid a poll tax. Then there was a ground tax. And a ground tax said that one-tenth of all grain grown on the ground belonged to Rome. And one-fifth of all the wine and olive oil belonged to Rome. Now, you could pay in kind in grain, olive oil, and wine, or you could turn that into cash and pay that way. So those were stated taxes. Seems to me there was another one. That's what's on my notes here. Oh, the income tax, modest, 1%. 1% on your income. But then there were duties. There were the stated taxes, and there's not a lot of room for extortion or corruption there, but the stated taxes are a little different. Lots of room for cor corruption. And these were duties, and so you paid a duty on being able to travel on the main road, the Roman road. You paid for that. Paid for the right to just be on that road. And then, if you had a cart, you paid a cart tax. And then you paid for each wheel on the cart and the animal that pulled it. Not really very popular tax. Then you paid taxes on uh, being able to go to the market and sell goods in the market or to use the harbor. You had to pay a market tax or a harbor tax. And then there was, in, uh, there was a sales tax on certain items, not on everything, but on certain items. And then you had to pay taxes to import something, and you had to pay taxes to export something. So there were lots of taxes, and there were lots of, in this, uh, in this duties, there was lots of wiggle room for extortion. And the extortion came this way because the tax collector could stop you on the road or in the market or on your way someplace, and make you unpack your bundles and could assess taxes on what was in the bundle. And if you didn't have money to pay, the tax collector would say, not a problem. I have my little receipt book here. You can take a loan from your friendly tax office. And so the tax collector became a loan shark. When Donna and I lived in, in uh, North Carolina, I had, uh, I, I was so proud of Oregon that I refused to put, um, well, we lived in Tennessee and then West Virginia and North Carolina, and I refused to put those states' license plates on my car. I, I really should have. It was just a little Pinto station wagon that was nothing to be proud of, but I, I was proud of the state of Oregon, so I kept my Oregon plates, which meant I was frequently a target of, um, of the highway police and the sheriff's department. And so one time dropping off a friend in the mountains of East Tennessee and coming to uh, our home after uh, yeah, he and I stayed in graduate school uh, uh, two days and then we were coming back. I dropped him off at Shounds, a little place up in the mountains of East Tennessee. I'm crossing the North Carolina border and the sheriff pulls me over. And, you know, this is 1974 or 5. And, of course, I'd seen Deliverance. I'd seen the movie. So here's the sheriff. Big sunglasses, you can't see his eye. 
big man. He comes up to my car, puts both arms on my windowsill, leans in my car, looks at me and says, son, you're in a heap of trouble. <laughs> i just terrified. And he says, you were speeding through my county. And um, we disputed that a little bit. Didn't get any better. And he says, I need to write you a citation, but it's Friday night. And the justice of the peace, I know, has gone fishing. So you have out-of-state plates. And I can't be guaranteed that you're going to come back to court. So you're going to have to spend your weekend in my jail. No cell phones. I couldn't call Donna and tell her where I was. I doubted whether or not this man was going to let me have my, what I thought was going to be my phone call, you know. And, and he just let the, the, the tension of it kind of sink in on me. And he says, but I have a way to solve your problem. You can join the North Carolina Automobile Association right now for $20, and we will pay your first three fines, this one included, which is far more than that $20. I have my receipt book right here. Well, I knew it was his dinner. I was buying this man's dinner. I paid the $20. I was happy. I didn't have $20 to pay him, but I had it in my pocket. And I paid the man $20. And I think to myself, this is what it was like to live in Palestine in Jesus' day. The tax collectors could pull you over at any place and force you to pay uh, a tax on your cart and on the wheels of the cart, on the animal and the stuff in it. And if you didn't have the money, they had their receipt book and they could just write you a little loan right there. And this is not just the tax man. This is the chief tax man. He's the head administrator. He is not highly thought of. So we know this about Zacchaeus. We know his name. We know that he was the chief tax collector and not held in high regard. He was rich. We can assume where he got his money. And he was short. Now, Jesus has come to town, and word has got back to Zacchaeus somehow, and he's in, he may have made attempts to be in, in the crowd. Not a good idea if you're uh, a, a Roman administrator or what someone would consider to be a collaborator with Rome. In Palestine, in Jesus' day, there were the Sicarii, assassins. And when crowds would come around, the assassins would slip into the crowds and find the collaborators and literally stab them in the back, assassinate them in the crowd, and slip away. The crowd would never know who had done it. As you can imagine, no one would talk. So Zacchaeus, getting in the crowd at the worst, he might be assassinated, but probably what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of elbows and feet flying. They see this little man. They know who he is, and he's going to get some jabs in the ribs, and he's going to get some kicks in the shins, and he's, he's going to be in the crowd, and he's not going to know what's happening. He's going to come away with bruises. So he cannot see Jesus. And we read here, and he was... Unable because of the crowd, he was trying to see who Jesus was. Very interesting word. Not necessarily unlike Herod, 
Remember Herod, and just a few chapters later, when Jesus is being tried, Pilate sends him over to Herod, and Herod is just really happy to see him. And the scripture there tells us, because Herod was hoping to see Jesus uh, do something, pull off a miracle. From the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, we hear Herod sing, uh, come on, Jesus, show your cool, walk across my swimming pool. And he's looking for this sign. Here is Zacchaeus. He's saying, I want to know who this Jesus is. And he's coming in. Maybe word has got to him that one of the 12, one of his most intimate followers, is a former tax collector, Matthew. We don't know. Maybe, maybe he just got word about, about Bartimaeus being healed. We don't know. But here he is, an important man. Imagine, maybe three-piece suit, well-made, well-tailored, a few gold chains, and he runs ahead. He figures out where, where Jesus is going as he's going to be exiting town. And he, it seems like a brilliant idea at the time. He thinks he'll climb a tree. Now, a sycamore tree is kind of like big oak tree at the base. It's a big trunk. And it comes up. It has low-hanging limbs that stretch way out. And they were frequently on roadsides probably was after they had exited uh, Jericho. They weren't common in cities, but they were common on the roadsides outside of cities. They they had a strange kind of fruit that hung on these kind of twigs on the outside of the tree, on the trunk, and on the limbs, and they were known as uh, a fig mulberry. That's what the word sycamore means. It's not like the sycamore tree that you might think of, that enormously tall with the peely bark. So he goes and has big leaves. And I'm sure that Zacchaeus thought that he could climb up this tree, he could shinny out on a limb just far enough to see Jesus as he comes, and he'd be hidden by the leaves. Seemed like a good plan. Childish. He was probably a little overweight. To be fat in Africa, to be fat in uh, the Middle East of this time is to be wealthy, to be fat. Everyone else had poor nutrition. Wealthy people had lots of food to eat. So he shinnies up a tree. He's determined. So now we have another visualization of the determination that Jesus talked about in the parable of the widow and the judge. He will not be put off. Like Zacchaeus, he's going to be one who gets close to Jesus one way or another. So he's up a tree. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, when I was little, I used to believe that Jesus knew everyone's name. And it was really unfair because I'm really poor at remembering names. And so he would just walk through the place and he would know, oh, yes, and he would just call you by name. He knew. I don't think that's what happened here at all. I don't think that there's any kind of miracle taking place. I think the crowd is surging forward. And here is this, here is this man, much hated in this very wealthy city who has made himself wealthy over the oppression of others, 
And he's now up in this tree, and it's a very embarrassing situation, and children are in the crowd as well, and they spot the man in the tree. And they start yelling derisive things, Zacchaeus. The people in the crowd now, in the midst of the crowd, they can say anything derogatory they wish. He can't tell who's saying this stuff. And so they begin to shout and jeer at this foolish man up a tree. Jesus knows his name because they're using his name. And here's where it all pivots. He calls him by name, and he invites him to a private conversation. Everyone else is jeering. Jesus looks up in the tree. He takes the initiative. Zacchaeus has come this close to him. Whether it's curiosity, whether he wants to see him do some sort of miracle, I don't know. Whether it's because Matthew, the tax collector, was part of the crowd, I don't know. But Zacchaeus needed to see Jesus, and here he is up the tree, out on a limb. The crowd jeering at him. And again, like with Bartimaeus, the blind man, Jesus stops. And he looks up in the tree, and I think, along with everyone else, he laughed. I think this was an amusing situation, but he laughed for a different reason. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm staying at your house today. Now remember, the crowd wanted to welcome Jesus. He isn't going to stay in Jericho. He's not going to stay there. He's passing through. They're probably pressing him as he's Come out of the city. Won't you reconsider? Won't you reconsider? We've made preparations for you to be with us. And he's saying, I've got to go to to Jerusalem. It is the most important trip he will ever make in his ministry here on earth is to go to Jerusalem at this particular moment. He will not be stopped. And there's Zacchaeus up a tree out on a limb. And the pivot is this. Look, we're going to jump over uh, verse 6 for a moment. And when they saw it, that is the crowd, they all began to grumble, saying he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus takes the jeering of the crowd, and in this pivot moment, in this pivot moment, all the hostility of the crowd shifts from Zacchaeus to Jesus. Oh. You see a dynamic change in what's happening. This is a radical turn. So radical that the crowd that had been going rejoicing with him over Bartimaeus When he does this thing, their discouragement and disappointment that was already festering in their their hearts and minds because Jesus is not going to stay with them even though they've made preparations. He's going to stay with Zacchaeus, a sinner. This is the beginning of Passover, and they know something. And what they know is that Jesus, by going and sitting on a chair in Zacchaeus' house or sleeping in the, the guest bed, will make himself defiled. 
and you'll have to go through a cleansing ritual before he can celebrate the Passover. And in fact, he may not be able to celebrate the Passover because he is now unclean. And they're saying, what kind of rabbi is this? Verse 6. Go back and pick up here. Zacchaeus hurried and came down, and he received them gladly. You may recall the incident in the chapter before. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yes, in the chapter before, in, in uh, chapter 18, beginning in verse 17, or 15, when people are bringing their children to him, and he says, stop hindering them. The disciples were saying, no, 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 no. And Jesus says, stop hindering them. He says, unless you come to me like a child, you can have no part of my kingdom. Ah, this is the kingdom question. Who may be part of my kingdom? And so we find Zacchaeus that we think in some way might be more childish than childlike, and yet he's receiving Jesus in this kind of of willing, trusting, uh, positive way taking him, making himself the fool for Christ. In case you wonder, there's something missing out of Luke. You may have looked at this and said, this somehow the sequence of these things don't make sense. The clue that there's something missing, there are three. First is the uh, uh, Greek term that's used in verse 5 for stay, and that means to remain with someone. It means like to stay overnight. And then when uh, uh, we read in verse 7, uh, guest of a man, that is a very interesting word that means to turn something loose. It means to take the harness off of an animal and let them rest. And that is used again and again, welcoming, for welcoming someone into your home for an overnight stay. So Jesus has rebuffed the crowd again, as he has when he was entering into Jerusalem. And this time they're saying, we've made all these preparations, and certainly to stay with another righteous man. And Jesus says, no, I'm staying with Zacchaeus. And they know that, they're, that he's going to be defiled by his presence there. And they're saying, what kind of a rabbi is this? What, what kind of a holy man is this? He's not a holy man. He's going to be defiled. How can he even, how can he even participate in the Passover? So, we see Jesus doing two or three things. One, he comes to where Zacchaeus is. Two, he calls him by name. Three, he invites him to a private conversation. Then we see Zacchaeus' response. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stopped. I'm not sure what the New American Standard says. It's, it, the literal word there is he stood up. Now, either he fell out of the tree and is a heap on the ground and he stands up and he starts making this proclamation or something else is happening. And what's happening, what I believe is happening, and I think what most commentators believe is what is happening, is that he went to Zacchaeus' house and Zacchaeus throws a party. Here's the party. Food, fellowship around this table. They're all reclining and eating. And as was Jesus' habit, when he is the guest, he takes control and he begins teaching. He begins opening up the word. 
for others. And Zacchaeus is deeply moved by this private audience with Jesus. And in traditional Mideastern fashion, he stands up and he makes a proclamation at the meal. Here's what I'm going to do. He is so moved by what Jesus says. And he makes an outrageous, an outrageous statement. I'm going to give half my uh, stuff to the poor, and, uh, and if I have defrauded, and by the way, that's a conditional phrase in the, in the Greek that means if I have and I have, meaning a positive, it's a positive condition. It, we might say, uh, we would tuck it in a little bit in English. We'd say, well, let's just for the sake of argument say that I did defraud someone. He's, he's hedging a little bit, but he said, if I defrauded someone of anything, I would give back four times as much, much more than what the Old Testament law required. But if you do your math, you see that he's offered something that's impossible. If he gives away half to the poor, and then only 13% of what he has left is by defrauding people, he can't do it. There's not enough money left. So he makes this profound exaggeration. And Jesus doesn't whip out his calculator and say, well, I, you know, Zacchaeus, let, you know, let's get this down. We don't see anywhere in here that when, when uh, Zacchaeus is deeply moved and he stands up and he uh, makes this proclamation that Jesus hands him a tract with the Ten Commandments written, written on it. Say, well, just do these things. What we see is that when Zacchaeus stands up and makes this proclamation, Jesus rejoices with him. Takes him where he's at, meet, meets him on the road, goes to his house, has this private conversation with him. Well, private probably. The apostles were there and Zacchaeus' friends were there and he stands up and he makes this proclamation and Jesus just laughs with this man. Today, salvation has come. Yes, and who brought it? It's Jesus. This is a remarkable story. But it makes me curious about consequences. What are the consequences of this? I love what, uh, what um, Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite authors in Peculiar Treasures, talks about Zacchaeus. He says he's a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. But Jesus welcomes him aboard anyway. I like, I like that. Look for that book, Peculiar Treasures. You'll enjoy it. Here's Zacchaeus. No more deceit, no more intimidation, no more corruption. I'm giving it up. He is the chief tax collector. My suggestion is at the very least he's going to lose his job. Is this going to rattle down through all the others that work for him? Is he going to say, no more, no more extortion, no more loan sharking? It's going to be accurate counts, accurate taxes. How's that going to to play? How's that going to play in Rome? Did you wonder about the blind man? I do. I watched an episode on the brain about a man who lost his sight at age three 
And through uh, a kind of uh, gene therapy of, uh, I, I don't understand, was given a sight back when he was in his 40s. Can you imagine that? Do you know that he still has to use a guide dog? He can't recognize his children. He doesn't comprehend that when you're traveling on the freeway and that sign up there is not going to hit you. The blind man, all those years begging, what kind of job skills does he have? What about the Gadarean demoniac? Jesus tumbles across the river, you know, he settles the sea down. They get on the other side. He's there, and this man is raging, insane, breaking chains. And Jesus destroys the economy of all of the Gergesenes. The pigs go into the sea. The swineherders run back and say, it's, they're all gone. And, and the people come out from the cities and say, what are you doing? Where's our pigs? Jesus says, see those bubbles? One man, to save one man, he destroyed the economy of a whole region. And on the most important journey of his life, in his ministry, he is suddenly stopped in the road by a short little hated tax collector who's up a tree. And here's something that strikes me about this. Up a tree, out on a limb, jeering crowds, and Jesus absorbs all of that hostility. Why? Because in a week, he'll be up a tree out on a limb absorbing all the hostility that is directed toward you and toward me. He sees in this one moment Zacchaeus. Who is worthy of the kingdom? Who may come to the kingdom? And if you want to, when you get home, go back and look at chapter 18. Because in this chapter, Luke, in this story, chapter 19, Luke is unpacking all those parables of Jesus. Chapter 18, verse 9. And he told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Is this not the crowd? And he talks about what? What is the story? A Pharisee who's praying, hands lifted up, looking to God, and a tax collector cringing in the corner, have mercy on me. Is this not this episode? Or how about later when the young man comes to Jesus and asks the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, to obtain it? Jesus goes down the commandments, and the man says, I've done all these things, and Jesus says, perfect. Sell everything you have and come, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Is, isn't that this that we're seeing right here? And when questioned about this by his followers, 
Those who heard what he said to them, he said how hard it is for those who are rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle. And they say, then who can be saved? And here's what he says. The things with men are, excuse me, the things impossible with men are possible with God. And in this he tells us that everyone's salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that I got through the eye of the needle. Peter then goes on and talks about all the things that we've given up. What are the consequences? He said, we've given up all these things. And Jesus says, you're going to get them all back and more. And he's talking about being in the body of the church, losing your family but gaining your family, talking about the wealth that is there and the wealth in the kingdom to come, and we find it all compressed into this one episode with Jesus and Zacchaeus. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, There's so many times that I feel like I'm up a tree and out on a limb. And the crowds have gathered around just just to laugh at my childish ways or my foolish ambitions. I'm so thankful, we're all so thankful that in Jesus there's one who understands. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.